material contained in the Divergent Clear podcast is for informational purposes only. The ideas and opinions expressed in the podcast does not represent the views or missions of the National Rail Passenger Corporation or Amtrak or the Washington Metro Rail Safety Commission. This is the Divergent Clear podcast. Diverging, milepost 20.04. Diverging clear, milepost 20.06. Welcome to Diverging Clear, your transportation podcast. With your host, William Moore and Jermaine Walker. Welcome to the Diverging Clear Podcast, episode number two, Logistics Defying Logic. I'm your host, William Moore, and I'd first like to say thank you for tuning in, and also don't forget to click the like and subscribe button for this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, and any other platform that you listen to or watch your favorite podcast on. I'll be rolling solo on this episode while my co-host Jermaine Walker tackles some other endeavors. So let's get right into it. Why is this episode titled Logistics Defying Logic? What is logistics? I could go into this long, drawn-out definition, but that's a little bit too boring. Simplified, excuse my language, logistics is moving shit from one place to another. Now, <laughs> like I said, excuse my language, but basically... When you have to move anything from, uh, whether it's from moving your couch to 
a chair in your living room from one corner to the other. That's logistics. Whether it's moving groceries in a, uh, from the car to the house, when you put a thousand bags on one hand and, and put the last bag on your thumb, that's logistics. But in a grand scheme of things, uh, logistics is the movement of, of, of goods or services or raw materials or anything from your everything you get from Amazon that's logistics when you, you put your order in it's here it's there the next day or sometimes within a couple hours that's logistics so there's many ways to accomplish this as I just mentioned the, the ways that are most common is airplanes which we use that's logistics moving us from say flying from Chicago to Cancun or flying Chicago to Dubai or that's logistics that's typically what we think of with airplanes trucks we all know trucks. We've been stuck in traffic behind them. We've been almost ran off the road by them. Uh, but trucks are our dominant mode of moving of logistics in this country. Then, of course, you got trains. Uh, you know, kind of my favorite way. And I think the best way to do stuff. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. And then you got ships, the big boats that carry a lot of this freight or the goods or, you know, they're, they're in, in actuality, they are the backbone of our logistics network. They just don't get the glory because we don't see these huge ships on a regular basis, especially where I'm at in the Midwest. Uh, the people on the east and west coast ports, they, they may see them, but uh, ships are a huge part of the logistics chain. Uh, that's why last year when that ship got stuck in the Suez Canal, uh, we saw the, 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 the ripple effect it had on, on the world economy, not just the U.S. economy. The world economy, because so much, so many goods move in that in that um, in that manner. So, in this episode, I'm going to touch on three of these four modes: the trucks, the trains, and the ships. But the defining logic part goes to the trains, as American ports, the ports I just mentioned on the East Coast. So you talk about uh, New York, uh, you talk about Norfolk, Virginia. They've been doing a lot of uh, port upgrades. You talk about uh, Wilmington, you talk about uh, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, those are some of the major East Coast ports. You talk about New Orleans, you talk about Mobile on the on the uh, Gulf of Mexico, the Gulf Coast. And then on the West Coast, you got, of course, the huge port, the busiest port in, in, in uh, the U.S., which is uh, the combination of uh, L.A. and Long Beach, also known as LAX, uh, that huge port complex. And you also have some smaller ports. You got... Uh, Oakland, you got Portland, uh, you have SeaTac, uh, which is also Seattle-Tacoma. That's a combination. That's a major port towards the northern, uh, northwest uh, portion of the Pacific. And then, of course, you get into Canada. You got Vancouver. You got Prince Rupert. Um, so those are the ports that you know that that we kind of kind of talk about when we're talking about the ports. So as these various ports continue to break record i mean month after month they're shattering their previous year's record which that previous year shattered that previous so we're seeing this growth of, of, of products imports mainly containers which i'll show you a picture of here in just a second these ports are growing and the inbound traffic is 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 off the charts it's off the charts however it's not translating to other forms of transportation which is what we'll dig into it, which is where I'm talking about uh, logistics defying logic. So one of the things that, you know, I wanna just point out as American ports, as I mentioned, continue to break records. 
want to show you this real quick. This is what comes into the ports. It looks like a standard semi-truck, but this is what they typically call a 40-foot container. Uh, these come in on boats. If you can see, it looks like a almost a Lego set, but those wheels are separate from that, from that container. Those containers are what come in at the ports. So when we show this, I'll show you this. How do we get these? To stop moving with these, these trucks, trucks are very important. And I'll get back to why, why I'm mentioning how do we get those 40 foot containers from moving on these. And I'll explain why it, that's very important as to why we need to get that, get those containers off of the road because that's the primary way that all of this traffic is moving right now. It's moving out of the ports by 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 truck and it actually it shouldn't be. Um, and it's causing tremendous, tremendous amounts of uh, environmental damage, uh, traffic jams. It's, it's, it, it, if you saw a couple of stories they did uh, when the ports were, were pretty much uh, a log jam, it was trucks idling for hours, days, trying to get in and out of the ports, just doing a, 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 just doing a massive job of, of environmentally destroying those areas and those neighborhoods uh, surrounding the ports. But my thing, my main point here is how do we get these, these, how do we get these containers from off of the roads and onto these? This here is a picture of a double stack train, that 40 foot container I showed you earlier. <clears throat> that 40 foot container can travel by rail. It should travel by rail. I'll break that down here in a little bit, but we need to get those 40 foot containers off of this road and onto this mode of transportation. As you can see just from this shot here, you're looking at a, an excess of probably 30 trucks. And this isn't the whole train. This is the, this is the literally the head end of the train. Right here in this little block here, it said probably at least, that's taking at least 30 to 40 trucks off the road just in this block of cars. And this train, trust me, was much longer than this. So how do we get those containers onto here? Why aren't they there now? That's the question. And another reason why I'm going to bring that up is because we don't want we want the, the we want the containers on these trains because right now there's a shortage of these. So with the shortage of truck drivers, and we're moving everything by truck, it causes a major problem. Primarily in the call in the time it takes us to get. Um, get goods as and also the cost the cost of transportation these good uh, uh, transportation for these goods when there's a shortage of drivers the cost uh, the, each driver that a trucking company has becomes a premium meaning that they are not going to they're not they're going to take the highest bidder to move their goods or, or they're going to choose the highest bidder to move their goods which now in turn drives the price up of our consumer goods People want to say, oh, well, the shipping rate doesn't, it does. It directly affects everything that you purchase and that you buy. If you ever, if you ever bought a car and you, a, a new car, and heck, even they even have them on used cars nowadays because sometimes, uh, depending on the used cars are, are shipped. Um, if you look on the sticker, there's a, a fee on there for usually anywhere between $15 to $2,500 per car that's charged 
uh, to move it from the plant, from the point of, of production to deliver. And you pay that. The consumer pays that. That's not, it's embedded in the price of your car, but you pay that freight to get your car to where they where you want it at. So with the shortage of the drivers, we have got to figure out why we're not putting them here. It just doesn't make sense. It, it and we'll get into that here in a, in a bit here. But the, the primary purpose of me showing this is for the fact to just give you a visualization that we're doing things that are legitimately defying logic. It, it doesn't make sense, and I'll get into that here in just a second. But uh, I want to bring up a couple articles that were, uh, um, I've been, you know, kind of investigating this for quite a while because I was, I, one of the things I do is I watch uh, the weekly carloads for American railroads, Canadian railroads, Mexico, uh, the, the railroads down to Mexico. So I watch this just to see where the trends are, what's trending that, you know, uh, is petroleum being shipped less automobiles, are those numbers going up or wrong? I just, I, I, I look into that different stuff. And the one thing I kept watching is uh, I would read an article about uh, the Port of Savannah set record uh, for the month of, of April of, uh, of this month, of this particular month, or the, this port is, is showing, uh, you know, uh, record growth, a uh, record month for container traffic as compared to last year, they increased their load. So I'm watching all of this stuff, but the one thing that's standing out to me is this. So this is uh, from March 31st, 2022, the previous week, uh, Carlo volumes came out. So the headline says, U.S. rail carloads held steady. Intermodal volume fell in week 12. That's troubling when you're seeing the ports, intermodal, which is what what's the capability of bringing those, you know, you have an option. That's why I call it intermodal. You can use either a truck or you can use, you can use train, the primary they come in on, on ships. So those are the three different modes that you can use. When they get off of the ship, they're not going to the rail. And that's troubling because they should be going to the rail. They definitely should be going to the rail, but they're not. So uh, this has gotten uh, the attention of you know publications like the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I, uh, matter of fact, uh, John Oliver just did a whole story on the trucking, uh, on the truck driver shortage, and he, he talked about some of these things. It was a very interesting piece. If you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. But he breaks down why are, you know, as I mentioned, the driver shortages are taking place. Um, he talks about it and does a real good in-depth uh, breakdown of it. But uh, I want to read this article here uh, from the Wall Street Journal. So just bear with me for a second. I want to try to... Uh, you know, this gives kind of a, a overview of what uh, of what I'm discussing when it comes to the shortage or or, or questioning why um, these containers and this traffic isn't moving on the rail. So this is the Wall Street Journal article. Um, this is from February 21st of 2022. Uh, it says the U.S. import surge is skipping the train. Shippers are increasingly choosing trucks over railroads because of supply chain bottlenecks and a need for speed, pushing more freight onto the country's highways. 
tens of thousands of container loads of cargo that would normally move on railroads are being hauled on American roads each month as companies look to get around continuing supply chain bottlenecks. U.S. intermodal transports, in which railroads carry containers and truck trailers, were down nearly 12% in the first six weeks of this year from a year ago, according to the Association of American Railroads, after tumbling in the second half of last year, even as retailers and manufacturers rushed to bring in goods. Trucking and rail industry officials say, say demand to move freight 500 miles or more, which is often done by rail, remains strong as companies restock depleted inventories. But shippers are more often, more often than usual choosing highways over railroads because of shortages of labor, equipment, and warehouse space across the supply chains can create unpredictable delays. Railroads should be seizing the day and winning more business, says Paul Svenlin, Chief Executive of Bensonville-based STG Logistics. His firm has been placing more cargo than usual on trucks because he can't find enough containers, enough of the containers railroads need to most <coughs> easily handle such, such shipments, he said. Intermodal transport, which uses trucking for the final label delivery, is slower and more complicated than long-haul trucking, but it is also cheaper and less damaging to the environment. Lawrence Gross, president of the Gross Transportation Consulting, said intermodal loans have lost a little over 1% of their market share to long-distance trucking since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Based on the current freight volumes, that translates to about 30,000 additional long-distance truck moves each week, he said. John Gray, Senior Vice President for Policy and Economics at the AARA, said freight railroads could comfortably handle an, an extra 20 to 30,000 intermodal loads a week. I am confident there is a lot more capacity out there, Mr. Gray said. U.S. supply chains are struggling to ingest record cargo volumes that began surging into the country in the summer of 2020. A few months after the COVID-19 pandemic triggered lockdowns when consumers switched they're spending from services to goods. Imports were up 14% in 2021 over the year before at the nation's busiest container port complex at Los Angeles and Long Beach, clogging port terminals, rail yards, truck yards, <coughs> and warehouses. So next uh, thing I'm gonna show you here is the, uh, just showing the monthly intermodal volumes carried by US Rail. So as you can see, um, you see dips and, and it, you know, uh, it's not uh, terrible, uh, but it should be a progressive uh, red, uh, a progressive trend upward instead of these ebbs and flows and dips and, you know, more dips here in the 2022. It's not, it, it should be, it should be a, a growth rate, not this fluctuation that we're seeing and then that this, uh, that this chart uh, indicates. Um, just another part of this article I'm going to uh, read. It also uh, says, in July, some railroads restricted cargo into Chicago for days until the bottlenecks cleared, uh, until the bottlenecks could be cleared, pushing shippers to trucking for long distance routes to inland warehouses. The period coincided with massive bottlenecks at U.S. ports where container ships at the port Complex in Southern California waited weeks or months 
to unload. To make up for lost time, some shippers chose to pay more for certainty and speed of trucking, said Bob Beasterfield, chief executive of freight broker C.H. Robinson World Worldwide. If they're waiting for days and weeks to get product out of the port and into their warehouse, they're looking for the fastest way to do that, and ultimately, that is almost exclusively by truck. So as we, you know, I'm not going to keep reading all the article. I think you're kind of getting a picture of where we're going here. And so um, one thing I do want to show also here is what the ports are doing. So here you see the Georgia Port Authority advances capacity expansion plans. This is primarily at uh, the Port of Savannah. And uh, also there uh, they have an inland container port that they're expanding dramatically right now. And then you also have this here, where in Virginia, uh, they're adding to their port capacity to handle container cranes. Oh, sorry, to handle containers, they're, they're adding uh, more and more uh, ship to shore container cranes that can uh, help uh, unload these uh, ships quicker and get these products out. But, as we're talking about that, we're not talking about the railroads <coughs> expanding their capacity to be able to handle this additional traffic. Um, back in the summer of uh, 2020, um, the couple railroads shut down intermodal terminals. Um, so uh, as a result of these bottlenecks and these supply chain issues, uh, one was on the NS uh, in Pennsylvania, I, I did a podcast talking about that and the other one was here in Chicago in the Chicago area uh, the Union Pacific's Global 3 terminal both of those have been shut down and then UP also had shut down uh, Global 1 which is uh, right on the uh, edges of downtown Chicago they had shut that down uh, Global 3 was for where they were forced to reopen Global 3 um, back in July of 2021 and then Global One just recently reopened here. I want to say it was probably towards the end of the, uh, oh, maybe September, no, October. They reopened Global One after it had been closed for about a year. So they added capacity, but they really didn't, they haven't expanded to handle this additional traffic. That's troublesome because at the end of the day, the ports are investing in this infrastructure to move additional containers I don't know how, how responsive the railroads have really been to adapt their uh, to expand their capacity in the same way or sense or even um, they haven't expanded their they haven't con con expanded their capacity or or even to the other point of their shipping lanes their, their lanes um, to handle this additional traffic. So when I speak of shipping lanes, um, especially on the railroads for uh, intermodal, so they have what they consider pair points. Pair points are two locations, so I'll give a quick example. A quick example would be uh, Chicago to, uh, let's say Chicago to Pittsburgh. That would be a shipping lane. Uh, another shipping lane would be Chicago to, let's say Kansas City, or Chicago to, uh, I'm basing everything out of Chicago. Let's say Chicago to LA. That's a huge lane. But there's smaller lanes that they could attack, but they won't. Um, you know, let's say if I, uh, Trains wrote an uh, excellent article uh, 
uh, last year talking about the uh, railroads could compete in the less than 500 mile um, shipping lane. So let's say uh, an example would be say Chicago to let's say let's say Chicago to um, I'm drawing a blank here. Sorry about that. So let's say Chicago to Louisville. That would be a less than 500 mile route that theoretically the railroads should be able to compete with. There's a lot of traffic that goes between those two routes. They could, but they don't. Uh, another destination pair, Chicago to St. Louis. You could run that, but they don't. It's often truck. Um, you know, there's not direct routes from Chicago to Florida. You know, there's not direct, you know, there's kind of a cumbersome ways that they have to go about it. Um, it's just a lot of opportunities um, where it feels like the railroads are are not picking up the slack or not even interested in picking up. They'll max out their trains to these certain destination points, but they won't take a smaller um, train. Let's say Chicago to let's say uh, uh, let's say Chicago to uh, to Buffalo, New York. I think they do run that, so that might not be a good example. But the shorter distance lanes they're not interested in which is why we get all the congestion with the trucks because the trucks make that you know have to make those three to four hundred mile runs when you could possibly move you know 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 containers with with one crew that distance but we're but railroads are not doing it and the reason that the, the big question is why why aren't the railroads doing it why aren't they uh taking up the board the burden um as, we, as I mentioned before, with the truck driver shortages, why aren't they taking up, taking off the burden of adjusting themselves to be able to handle the additional traffic? You know, I, I, I know a lot of it has to do with the capital investment, the, the intermodal terminals. But let's 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 be honest. We this prediction for this growth has been out there for years. We knew this this was going to come. Uh, the pandemic kind of kicked it in a hyperdrive, but all the forecast said that this was going to happen. It's going to continue to grow. So why are are why the railroads kind of neglecting and, and not making the investment? It's not making sense. Um, I recently read an article. The NS is uh, starting to put carload traffic at the head end of their intermodal to run kind of an express, um, an express expedited service that uh, boxcars will be added in the intermodals. Uh, and taken to a, 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 a rail transfer facility where the boxcars being unloaded to trucks. So they're trying this, and then they're, they're trying it in a different lane. And it's like, what's? Why are we trying this stuff in other lanes? You know, um, it can be done. It should be done. If you look over in Europe, um, and I had an interesting conversation with. Uh, uh, with Mr. Solomon from Trans, and we were discussing this, and he he's got an extensive background on the uh, freight operations, of European freight operations, and what he was and what he, he 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 expressed to me was that the over in Europe, their trains are shorter, but the freight the freight that they're moving is highly valuable, so they get the premium loads. Whether, as opposed to where the truck drivers get the not so hot items as we like to call it we describe hot as the premium this is what 
you know, this is who pays the freight, the, the quote-unquote say who pays the freight. So over there, the railroads move the hot stuff. In America, it's opposite. If we, if the, the railroads move what the truckers don't want. Is, a, a, is, is essentially how you can categorize it because when you look at it, it's not it, it's not the same. Um, we don't get those high priority shipments because of the unreliability. Um, our supply chain network uh, really needs to be developed here, where we can unload containers in an efficient manner, distribute them to where they need to go, and make things better. Because right now. I'll shortly here I'll be driving into work and it'll be I'll be looking at the, the trucks and the containers and the, the, all of this stuff but you know trying to get in and out of the city and it's like I always ask myself are they going to let's say uh, Global One are they going or are they going to the final destination because a lot of this stuff you know it can be moved by rail but it's not uh, we have to look at a, a different way to, to do our to uh, design our logistics network because yes, the warehouses are going up, which is a good thing um, to help with the supply chain, to uh, uh, adapt and help with the supply chain issues. But we're, we're missing a crucial link here. That crucial link that's missing is the railroads. You know, this is uh, numerous, everyone's, everyone can see it. They're missing a golden opportunity. And this, the, the question comes back to why. I'll make one point. I'll, the, the one thing that I'll say is, because right now, with PSR, Precision Schedule Railroading, the idea of Precision Schedule Railroading has some good elements in it, don't get me wrong, but it's not focused on volume growth. They're not interested in adding more volume to get more revenue. They're interested in hauling, and all of the reports to tell you, even that, that report that came out from the DOT and the railroads were a bit pissed off about it. Um, showed that they weren't focused on volume growth. They were focused on raising the price. So move less, get paid more. That's good for the railroads and their shareholders and their, you know, the stock prices, but it's not good for our overall lo uh, logistics network. It's not good for our overall supply chain. You know, um, it just, it, 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 it's not, uh, they can get the money if they, you know, they can still get the money. It may take a little bit more work and effort, but it can be done in a better way than what we're doing right now. If with, with the primary focus being on shareholder value and not on shipper value or not national value as, as to the need that, that, the, that the railroads provide, uh, it just without calling out any certain railroads, it just seems like uh, a lot of people are asleep at the wheel. Um, I'm not going to, you know, uh, some railroads are doing some good things. I, I mean, I just think more can be done. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that what they're doing is bad, but I just think more can be done and more of an effort can be put in to capturing some of this volume and helping to distribute it and helping to become a, a strong leg of the supply chain. Because what we saw during the pandemic was if truckers get sick, our store shelves go bare or they risk going bare. We gotta have a we gotta have a uh, some type of uh, backup. We gotta have some type of redundancy to be able to handle this traffic where the trucks are only handling the last mile. That's what this type of this mode of transportation was designed for. It was designed for come in off the ship, 
go on the train, the train handles long distance, get it off the train, put it on the chassis, driver takes it to the delivery point, and then vice versa. Driver picks it up from, uh, from the production point, bring it to the train, train puts it on the, uh, a railroad puts it on the train, train takes it to the next port, port unloads it, puts it on the ship. That's how it's designed to work. It's not working that way. And there's, like I said, there's a ton of other reasons it can go into, but I just think the philosophy of the rail uh, railroads needs to needs to change. It needs to kind of um, start shifting in a way to adjust to volume growth within your precision schedule railroading models. Uh, that has to occur, and it has to occur soon because uh, they're going to miss a golden opportunity here. And a lot of times, once that stuff goes to trucking, it doesn't come back. And I, it just, and that's that's the fear that I that I, you know, being in the rail industry, I just see us, you know, having a golden opportunity that we could be missing, and not taking advantage of these additional volumes. Just trying instead of, like I said, a simplified version of what I'm saying is raise the prices, don't increase the amount of traffic you move. And I don't think that's that's not going to be good for anybody except for that particular company shareholders in the long run, which at the end of the day, they can dump and they can they can sell their stock, cash out, and then we'll be still left in shambles trying to figure out this logistics defying logic. All right, that's my filibuster on this uh, conversation. So um, if you have any questions or problems, uh, any suggestions, any uh, uh, any type of, you know, your opinion on this on this subject, uh, like I said, for me, it's not a, it's not a negative. It's not a strike against the railroads. I just think we got to think a little, start thinking a little bit more outside the box. Okay, how can we move this additional? How can we create newer lanes that compete with trucks? How can we move goods? Because it can be done. It is done every day. But how can we scale this so that it can be profitable and we can get these trucks off the road and, and, and start to getting it back to last mile delivery, not the entire route delivery? Which will bring shareholder that which will bring additional shareholder value, and the amount of, of goods moved and, and, and prices and shipping rates charged for those additional volumes, instead of lowering your volumes and, and jacking the prices up on the shippers, and then you know, all of us feel feel the, uh, the brunt of that uh, when that occurs. So, um, yeah, I think that's it, man. I think I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this episode up. Logi- logistics defying logic. And like I said, it comes back to it. I was kind of doing my little pre-show build-ups to it, and I played the House of Cards thing for a reason uh, on some of my build-ups to this commercial, uh, to this uh, production. Because th- th- to be honest with you, our it feels like our logistics network right now is a House of Cards. Um, I don't want to think that. Uh, um, it's not a negative strike against things, but I just want to—I just want to make it clear: we have a lot of things we need to clean up with our logistics and our supply chain. Right now, I feel like we're on a house of cards. Uh, it kind of looks good. It kind of looks sturdy. But one big strong wind, like another pandemic, and the whole dang thing will come tumbling down. So we definitely got to be aware of that. We definitely got to be uh, uh, prepared to do the right thing and be able to adjust and start doing it now. We can't wait till the next pandemic and we can't wait till the next global crisis hit and then start trying to react. We got to be proactive in this. We have to be proactive for the sake of our our nation, for the sake of our 
our families. You know, we're going to depend on this. We depend on logistics to take care of our families, to take care of the things that we need. It's important. It can't be put out to the back burner. So, you know, we have to keep, uh, you have to keep working at this. We got to keep talking about it. We got to start, and actually, we got to stop talking about it and be about it. Let's just, let's just make it clear. This affects everything from the, 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 the price of the bar of soap you buy to the cost of, the, you know, the, the cost of uh, uh, a pack of chicken, drumsticks. Everything is affected by this. And we need to start, you know, uh, paying attention to it so that we can take care of what we need to take care of. So that's logistics to finite logic. Or more stuff should be on the trains and less stuff on the highway. It's the final logic that it's not. All right, thank you for tuning in this afternoon for uh, episode two of the Divergent Clear podcast. Logistics define logic. I just kind of broke down a little bit of uh, what we, what the title of that, that video was. Uh, logistics define logic, but we can we can actually get back on the logical side of things. This isn't a this isn't a, a, a dead end situation. There's lots of things that can be done to improve this. And some of the things are taking place. Hopefully, uh, with this infrastructure bill, some of these things will, will come to fruition. We'll, you know, we'll see how, how money is distributed, if it's going to address a lot of these needs uh, the proper way. You know, this isn't a Band-Aid situation. This is a full-on uh, full surgical uh, repair for our logistics network that needs to take place. And we need to start using some of our tools a lot better uh, to get um, to get this accomplished properly. So, like I said, thank you for tuning in to episode two of the Divergent Clear podcast, Logistics Defying Logic. I'm your host, William Moore. Thank you for tuning in, and don't forget to click that subscribe button on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, and any other platform that you might listen you listen to or watch your podcast. Once again, thank you for coming out. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to share. Share this with your other friends and your, your buddies. And uh, I got a, a comment uh, that I needed to kind of simplify this because if you wasn't in transportation or logistics, you wouldn't understand what the heck I was talking about. So I tried to take that approach here. So let me know what you think of it. So uh, thank you for tuning in. You guys have a good day. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. Divergent Clear is sponsored by EME Rail Solutions, LLC. We don't own rail cars, locomotives, or tracks. But if you do, we provide cutting-edge solutions to maximize your assets. Visit us at emerail.net to learn more. The Divergent Clear podcast is also brought to you in part by Precision Logistics, LLC. Precision Logistics, LLC meeting tomorrow's logistical needs today. Visit www.precisionlogisticsllc.info to learn how.